0: Hey, folks, thanks for joining us back here on Bikes and Big Ideas for what is either the most important or just goofiest conversation of the year, where we do our bikes versus skis recap. And in this episode, we are starting off our comparisons for brand versus brand matchups and talking about stuff like who is the analog to transition in the ski world, who's the bike version of ON3P, and a whole bunch more. And if you're just joining us here from the part one episode that we had over on our Gear 30 podcast last week, episode 245, welcome. Hope you stick around. We're doing some pretty cool stuff, including our really excellent conversation with the one and only Richie Schley last week, and we've got a very cool conversation with Jesse Melamed on deck for next week. So check some of that out. There's more than just Bikes versus Ski content on here, and some of it's pretty sweet. So, if you haven't gotten up to speed, the mission this week is that we are sitting down and kicking off our comparisons of various bike and ski companies, and... You should probably check out the aforementioned episode over on Gear 30, part one of this fourth edition of Bikes vs. Skis, where we kind of kick some of this off with some bigger picture questions about stuff like who are the cool kids in the bike and ski world or which brands are the cool kids riding on and a whole bunch of stuff like that. And then we are going to have a part three of this conversation wherein we continue the brand comparisons, which will be back on Gear 30 next week. So if you've got particular brands that you want to see us cover or have some ideas of comparisons of your own, drop those in the show notes or on our Instagram post for the show, and we will weigh in on a bunch of the better and or more interesting ones next week. So check that out. Give us some feedback and your thoughts and with that let's get right into part 2 of the 2023 edition of bikes versus skis
1: all right everybody we are diving right into this it's time for our comparisons bikes versus skis and we're going to start with a you know just a little little known company santa cruz You know, a couple people have heard of them, maybe. But um, let's start there. Let's dive in. Santa Cruz is most like or reminds us the most of which ski company? David Golay.
0: I went with vocal for this one with the thinking that they're both pretty big companies, but not quite on the same tier as the very biggest players out there. And they don't make the quite as full complete range of stuff. Santa Cruz is focused on mountain bikes with one gravel bike in the mix. Vocal is kind of doing generally higher end skis. It's not like they're doing big rental fleets and stuff like that, but they are doing a pretty broad spectrum of stuff within the higher end market. And I think both are doing a good job of having a complete and pretty dialed lineup within the spaces that they do participate.
1: Hmm, that seemed awfully smart. Right out of the gate. I somehow find my I I'm like, I don't know that I is that really the best answer here? Does anybody have anybody want to challenge Dylan Wood?
2: I don't know. I feel like Vocal is a bit too big in comparison to Santa Cruz. Vocal has a lot of frontside skis, a lot of racing inspired skis. Um and, and I sort of equate those in my mind to like road bikes. I don't know. Um, I had...
1: Frontside skis are road bikes now? Yeah, I mean... Okay.
2: You know, a road and a groomer, like they basically look the same. Um, (laughs) I had had Moment instead because Moment is, yeah, more of like an all-mountain-focused company. They don't really make any, you know, narrow, skinny-carving piece skis in the same way that Santa Cruz doesn't really make anything designed for on-road use. Um, They're both like bigger companies than I think people realize they are. And they're both, you know, pretty cool without really being like underground anymore. Those are my thoughts.
1: Interesting. Luke Luke's going to get a bit of a tiebreaker here.
3: Yeah. I would, I would aim somewhere in the middle. Um, I didn't have a clear choice for Santa Cruz, but listening to Dylan and David's answers, I think I'd thread them and say Armada, because they used to, they started really small, but now they are pretty sizable, and they still have a bit of a cool factor to them, but not nearly as much as they used to. Maybe even like ten years ago. Um, but as will be a theme for me, the bigger the company, the harder the time I had making a very clear analogy across the different uh, sports categories.
1: Simon Stewart, anything to add? to this one
4: yeah i think so i might expand on what dylan said a little bit when he used that front side ski analogy to um to more of like a road bike and I, i'm thinking well maybe so but a front ski to me front side ski to me is more like the, the cross-country mountain bike where it's a sharp tool that's low travel and quick and you know does everything fast so to speak versus when i'm going to look at road bikes i'm thinking more nordic skiing you know the reason why they call what cross country squeeze misery sticks in Canada. <laughs> ooh, ooh. <Misery laughs> so it's, sticks. it's all about exercising and suffering. That's why I make that connection wow. to road bikes. Okay? If,
3: I, if I can add to that, maybe how do we like ski mo or ski mountaineering as the gravel bike equivalent, both on the rise, both very endurance oriented, but not they're like a little bit more downhill oriented <laughs>
1: wow i didn't see the conversation going in this direction but um it's 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 it's, we need to do it i would liken gravel bikes are closer to many modern quote-unquote front side skis where some people will still venture off piste on them but and some people will also be like, frontside skis go everywhere. What are you talking about? They're great on everything. And it's like, no, you're actually just wrong about that. So I, I would argue, I think, we're still sorting this out. Gravel bikes are closer to sort of recreational frontside skis. When we're getting into skimo stuff, truly talking about skis that are dedicated for to the uphill. I think Simon's got it right. That's the better analogy with the road bike. No, no, Luke disagrees.
3: I just think there's so many different ways to look at this. Like it's hard for me to think of road bikes as Schemo skis because skimo is so much smaller than the rest of the ski market, whereas road biking is such a substantial portion of it. And I mean, ski mode, depending on how you're talking about it, like you've got everything from the people who just go up and down their local resort that's groomed to people that do legitimate, they actually summit mountains and ski back down them. Um, And that's, that's why I was thinking of it a bit more as a parallel to gravel biking. Whereas cross country skiing, you're typically only on groomed trails that are not all that challenging, and you're mostly in it for the exercise, but uh, what I kept coming back to is that turns out these are two completely different sports, so uh, the analogies aren't always perfect.
1: All right, real quick, let me see let me let me try this. Downhill bikes are powder skis. We good there? DH bikes are powder skis, sort of very specific tools. Enduro bikes are kind of the the chargers. They're kind of all-mountain chargers. Then all-mountain bikes or trail bikes, that's just kind of what everything that we lump under all-mountain skis. Gravel bikes, I'm still then saying are sort of what I'm going to call recreational frontside skis. Yeah, they're not race skis where you might actually kill yourself taking them off piste there's a they're a little more versatile than that but for the most part I'm going to draw the analogy there gravel bikes to recreational frontside skis that then leaves us with road bikes having to equate to sort of really lightweight touring gear that is really about going uphill quickly less about enjoying the downhill are are we really
4: disagreeing about this simon no I, i'd say that's a fair representation um but to to throw a curveball in there because why wouldn't i um there's bikepacking which i would say is um <laughs> more relevant than than say for instance well schema and that because a lot of people are doing it it's growing really quickly and obviously I think that correlation then goes to touring skis and going on hut trips and packing your stuff on your back, that kind of a thing.
1: Yeah. Okay. But bike packing is just like ski touring. You're doing a multi-day tour. There's not like specific gear for that. Like you're doing that. A lot of people are doing that on touring gear. Some people are doing that on lighter weight touring gear, but so that's kind of a multi The multi-day thing, I think, is its own, like, deal. Anyway, David Goulet, your thoughts on this?
0: Yeah, I think most of that sounded right to me. The part that sits with me the least well is the gravel bike to frontside ski bit, because I feel like a big part of what people use gravel bikes for and what they're into them for is just getting out into the woods in the middle of nowhere and riding on dirt roads away from people and that kind of thing, which is very different from what one does with frontside skis and um i also think the fact that you know recreational frontside skis are they're not race skis but they're kind of derived from them and sort of tamed down versions of them is just a very different kind of trajectory as like in terms of product development where they've come from than what gravel bikes are doing so that was the one that i have the hardest time with
1: well we'll probably come back to this topic and do like a 10 part series on it, you know, some other time, but back to Santa Cruz versus vocal or moment or Armada. And here's my take on this so far. I think vocal has just such a legacy and a, and a history that Santa Cruz doesn't have. So that, that puts it off a bit for me. And so it's almost that vocal is a little, maybe maybe too big and too old, which I don't mean in a negative way at all. Moment is maybe not hitting the reach and scale of a Santa Cruz. So I think a lot of this really comes down to exactly what a person thinks about Armada in terms, like to bring Luke's example in, because honestly if a person still thinks of armada as being like a very cool company like consistently putting out cool products then the more i think they're going to like luke's answer i don't know that i think of armada today as enjoying all the kind of hotness um vibes uh, to use, you know, my favorite word, um, that I do think Santa Cruz kind of still has right now. That's why the moment analogy feels a little better to me, even if it's off in terms of scale. Lucapa, Kappa, thoughts?
3: My main counter, while I agree from my perspective, I don't think Armada, I think it's lost a lot of its cool factor recently. They still have one of the best athlete teams in the world with some of the most famous, like Santa Cruz has... Danny McCaskill and Jackson Goldstone Armada still has Tanner Hall and Sammy Carlson and Phil Casabon and Henrik Carlo. like and they still sign a lot of up and coming people um so I think that's one of my main uh counterpoints to this comparison that I just thought of five minutes ago
0: David Golay and on the age front I would actually push back a little bit in that mountain biking as a sport is just so much newer than skiing that Santa Cruz has actually been around for about as long as there have been dedicated mountain bike companies.
1: The sport, yeah, fair. That's fair. That's fair. The other thing about maybe why the Armada analogy doesn't feel quite as um, on point Think about all the athletes you just named, Luke. It's a pretty specific type of skier. And I think Armada, you know, I don't think that tons of directional skiers are looking to Armada for their gear, whereas basically every type of mountain biker probably has a model in the Santa Cruz lineup where they are at least considering it. So maybe that's why it feels and ironically moment like makes a lot more directional skis that might be good fits for people more than Armada.
3: I mean, if we're we're just talking quantity, that's not,
1: no, no, I'm not talking about quantity. I'm just talking about models. Like the
3: number of models, like Armada's directional, uh, declivity and reliance series is covers i think it's double the number of models in like moments commander series but i don't think they've i think they've been trying to become more of a player in the directional all mountain category but it hasn't caught on as as quickly as i'm guessing they would have
1: liked cool well what we've established is it's we're gonna actually need to dedicate a single episode just for one set of comparisons so um on that theme, Simon, did you want to chime in once more? You get the final word here.
4: Well, my my one comment was just that we've kind of focusing on Santa Cruz still being super cool and hot, and and while I, I agree that they're they're still hot, I would question the coolness that they're, they're in a company that's grown out of that you know that small company quite a long time ago. Now they're pretty big, and it's really difficult to remain cool as we know when you get to that size. Um, and from our last episode, they they weren't mentioned under who the cool kids are, so
1: No, no, And none of us are making that claim though. Nobody's talking about the hottest, but but it's still a brand that I think, frankly, I would argue most companies would be jealous of. They're, they are scaling, and people are still quite into what they're up to. Like every company on earth is trying to pull that off, right? So nobody's, nobody is talking about this in terms of like the absolute hottest and maybe nobody will think that two years from now. Um, I think though that balance of growth and coolness, that's my take. You, you'd still push back on that?
4: No, I think they've done a really good job with balancing that for sure.
1: All right, we're moving on. This probably only take 30 seconds. Um, specialized. We're keeping it with the, you know, tiny little boutique companies. Dylan Wood, what do you got? I had Salomon. Uh, not only are they both companies whose names start with S, but
2: they're both very large, have expansive lineups, um, are very present in their respective industries. You know, if you're out riding or out skiing, you'll, you're will you basically guaranteed to see either brand out there. Um, they both have, I'd say their demographic is mostly kind of maybe not the youngest, like coolest, most free ride, edgy, um, you know, skiers or mountain bikers. Um, but I think there's a lot of, you know, like that, like 30 to 50 range who are super into to both brands.
1: Lou Kappa, thoughts on that?
3: I could have gone with many of the big ski brands for this, but I think Solomon's a good one because I think both Solomon and Specialized have very well-rounded lineups and they've I think currently they have just a bit of a better cool factor than some of the other biggest brands between like on Solomon's side they have, they do have a lot of like younger athletes that they sign and get like fully head to toe in Solomon gear um and like Cody Townsend's 50 project is really big on specialized side like I mean just the fact that they have uh Loic and Finn who are two of the highest profile downhill racers out there maybe their cross-country team is also quite quite solid maybe have some work to do on the enduro side but yeah I think well-rounded lineup and just a there's a bit more culture and substance to them than some of the other biggest brands from my perspective Interesting. While you
1: were talking, Luke, I was thinking about the fact, I feel like we sung the praises of Rosignal quite a bit in part one. And I think, I don't think we were wrong about that stuff. And yet, I'm also thinking, like, just in terms of the rise and fall of brands and all that, I'd say Solomon is in a pretty good spot at the moment. Right. So I guess we'll. I don't know if we wanna do the kind of like, why not Rosignol as specialized right now, or would we save that? David's chomping at the bit. What do you got?
0: Yeah, well Rosignol was what I had for specialized. Uh and my thinking on that was both huge companies that make a product in just about every conceivable category. Uh and there are a handful of companies that could qualify on that basis, but among those I think Rosignol like Specialized has a handful of select products that are kind of notably cool and trendy and getting a lot of attention in a way that isn't quite as much the case for a lot of their competitors. So like on the Rossi side, I'm thinking of the Black Ops 118 and the Center Free 110. And then on the Specialized side, you've got the status lineup, which they've marketed kind of similarly to the Black Ops when that first launched too, of being a very quiet underground, barely talked about it kind of thing. And so the bigger companies tend to be harder to match up because they're just, they do so many different things that they're not going to hit on all facets generally. But I think that was why I went with Rossi for specialized
4: Simon. Uh, I would, I would ask the question because this pertains to specialized, but who does the ski industry look to for innovation? Because Specialized is one of those companies. And so out of those two, Rosinald or Solomon, who is the rest of the industry looking at to see how they're innovating and what are they doing next? Oh, damn it.
1: That's a good question. Um, I don't think it's an obvious answer, but now, Dylan, I'll get to you in a sec on, and I know you want to chime in, but Luke or Dylan, do you have a clear?
3: I, I would say on the, I don't know if it's necessarily flipped across the whole industries, but like, yeah, on the bike side, I feel like a lot of the innovation, specifically for companies that make complete bikes, does often come from the bigger players, or at least stuff that everyone else then then ends up adopting. Whereas on the ski side, I feel like the most innovation we see is from the smaller companies in terms of what actually ends up getting picked up by other brands. Um, so I don't, I don't think of any of the a single big ski brand as like the innovator
1: also pretty good answer my god you guys are actually kind of on point today dylan wood help us out
2: um yeah first of all i don't exactly think of specialized as like the big innovator in the bike world i think a lot of the smaller brands who are really pushing the boundaries of what we could do with geometry Um, it sort of felt like specialized was kind of copying what they were doing rather than the other way around. And I do agree with Luke that I don't think there's, yeah, I can't really think of a single ski company as like the big innovator. I think it's a lot harder to, you know, change a ski construction to really change the way that people ski versus you can do so much with a bike to change the way, how it feels. And we've sort of experienced that in the last five to 10 years.
0: David? David? I think that Dylan's right that Specialized wasn't the innovator on geometry specifically, but that they have been in a bunch of other fronts, like stuff like in-frame storage and uh, e-mountain bikes. They were way ahead of the curve on, and they were relatively quick among the big brands to catch on to more modern geometry, even though they were not the ones driving it. That was definitely coming from smaller companies, generally speaking, but they were quicker to hop on board there than say tracker
1: giant. I, it is a little weird to me. I mean, I'm still stuck on Simon's question of, you know, of the larger ski manufacturers. I mean, we, we didn't answer the question, right? And so if we're talking about Rossignol head, atomic, vocal, solomon we don't think that one of those companies in particular kind of separates itself just in terms of ski innovation
3: yeah i just think there's like from my perspective for ski innovation it's often over the course of a few years maybe one to three companies will start doing something slightly different and then by year three Everyone's hopped on that trend to a degree, but it's rare that I think because of the simplicity of skis, it's rare that someone changes someone something super drastically and then everyone else follows suit. Like I think you could talk about like the Rossi S7 um, being one of the defining skis in terms of ski shaping, uh, but I don't have my history totally dialed on that. I'm sure one of the smaller companies probably did that first. Um, I'm guessing DPS's early designs were kind of preceding that. And then like, maybe you could say head was one of the first companies to make one of their flagship all mountain lineups really, really light. But people have been making light skis for a while before that. So I, I think because skis are comparatively simple, it's hard to completely change the game uh, in a way that still res- ends up with being a usable, good uh, product.
1: Okay. All right, Dylan. Who did you have for Rosignal? I we're just moving on because I can't. I'm I'm kind of stuck on this one. But uh, who did you have for Razi?
2: Yeah, similar size. I had Trek, mostly because I think. Um, I was thinking about like how their lineups have evolved and both brands in the last couple of years have taken a bit of a step of, you know, progression, getting away from what they've been doing for a while, getting away of just kind of, you know, putting out safe products that were selling really well and, you know, innovating in terms of, you know, geometry with Trek. And, you know, when, when Rosignill ditched the S line, that was like crazy move. Um, but you know, the the new senders and, and black ops are, are doing pretty well. Um, and yeah, same with Trek, you know, similar to specialized, it's a pretty large company, expansive lineup. Um, yeah, that's my answer. And they also have really good, both have really good athlete teams. Um, you know, we think of Trek, some of the most legendary riders like Brandon Semenuk, um, you know, our dog and yeah. And, same with though. They have a lot of, I guess, more up-and-comer athletes, but a lot, a lot of really popular athletes.
1: David Goulet?
0: Yeah, I think there's some truth to that, but I kind of feel like Trek is in an interesting spot where they are sort of straddling being still one of the more conservative brands in terms of their mountain lineup. But have recently introduced a couple of models that are a big departure from what they've been doing and are more modern and progressive in a lot of their design elements like the fuel ex being kind of one of the principal examples of that and so i think that trend is pointing the direction that dylan's talking about but it's going to be really interesting to see what they do with the rest of the line in the next couple of years and whether they continue that trend or if they kind of continue being straddling the line and being somewhere in the middle on that front
1: anybody else we're speechless all right, everybody. Well, that was spikes versus. No. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard at the top. Let's switch up just a little here. Transition. Who do we like? Who's got the best answer? Dylan Wood, not saying you have the best answer, but we're going to let you talk first.
2: I had Jay Ski's, uh, and this sort of stems from the previous episode. If you listen to it, I think, yeah, both are in a position where they're big enough that you know, you'll see a lot of their products across the world. They're not really constricted to a certain area or a certain niche, um, but they're not super huge. And I think they're both in a really good position. Um, They both kind of like to place themselves as being like not super serious, you know, silly little brands, funny marketing, um, good times. We like to drink beer and not super like race inspired or like, yeah, just sort of more so just like going out there to have fun. That's what I think.
1: Anybody got a better answer than
0: Jay Skis for Transition? David? This is where I put moment. And I think Dylan's got a point that, especially in terms of their marketing being kind of fun times, party in the woods in Transition's case, um, there is some alignment between those two. But one of the things that I think is notable about Transition is that for a long time, they have been one of the early adopters on just more aggressive geometry, longer, lower slacker bikes and making comparatively hard charging, aggressive stuff. And from that perspective, I think moment matches up a bit better. I think they're also probably a little closer in terms of relative scale than Jay is, uh, with me imagining that moments solid chunk bigger than Jay, uh, and transitions kind of sneaky, big ish too. uh, And so, um, moments branding is definitely more metal and less fun times, but in terms of the product lineup scale and for kind of how long they've been around and both have done a good job of being at least in the consideration for the cool kids title and have had really good staying power. There have been in that conversation for a very long time in a way that I think is hard to pull off and have that in common as well. Let me ask you this. Who do you
1: think is doing the best job in terms of marketing? What bike company is just killing it, whether you like the style or not? They, you're just like, they do it well, whatever the style is. Because I still do think, I'm, I'm wondering if this affects our answer much. I do still think that Jay skis, I don't know who I would say is doing it better than Jay right now just in building that sense of brand and who we are and why you kind of want to be a part of this
3: so I one of my comparisons kind of tied into it but more specifically in terms of like kind of uh not in your face marketing more guerrilla marketing and a lot of that is just having people mostly on social media who get a ton of views and engagement, be on your product. And for that reason, I had NS bikes and 1000 skis as the comparison. In addition to the fact that tons of high profile influencers and pro athletes who are known for mostly making like video parts and doing events happen to be on their products. uh, Also, because I see them in like every high view video out there. And I almost never see them in person. I was on NS Bikes website this morning just by uh, actually because I saw it in a video. And then I clicked the NS Bikes USA page. It took me to some shop, and it, I assumed that was the distributor. They had one NS Bike. I don't know how you buy them in the States. Uh, 1000 skis, I've seen one pair so far. Um, but that was kind of my my thought of like the under doing a really good job of underground marketing without actually sending ads at you. But I see their product everywhere under the feet of cool people doing cool stuff.
1: I don't know if I think anything that you just described actually translates to like, we sell a bunch of product.
3: You asked about marketing, not, not sales.
1: Okay. But I guess I mean, marketing that actually moves product. So you stay in business?
3: I don't know. <laughs> okay.
1: So let me let me kind of reframe a little then. Not just who does really sick marketing, according to Luke Kappa, but like who's doing marketing that you think is moving the needle, moving product, which means they get to not, you know, go out of business. Who is that on the bike side, David?
0: Comencal is one of the first companies that comes to mind. They've both done just a great job of building an incredible athlete team, particularly on the downhill race side of things, but also some really good free riders and their video team is doing just absolutely top notch work and consistently putting out extremely good video content. And both of those things I think have served them really well. So I, I mentioned Jay
1: and now that we've like, you know, kind of crystallized the question I'm asking really doing marketing well to move product. Does that shift your answer at all away from Jay?
3: I, I mean, going off of like David's perspective, I always correlate faction with common stall, mostly from the media perspective and the athlete perspective that they have some of the best athletes in a pretty wide variety of categories and they self produce some of the best content in their respective categories and I think that goes a long way in terms of like making your product seem cool. And they're neither of them are like super unattainable in terms of price. So I, I think that I think it's good marketing. I guessing it's pretty effective, but I'm also like, I'm never like if I see an ad for a bike or a ski company on a website, I'm never like kind of looking at that super analytically. So like, uh, from, the perspective of like, is it actually working for them? I never really think about that, but I do think uh, I see a lot of faction skis and common salt bikes. And I, in my mind, I associate them with really good athletes that I see all over the place and really good uh, video parts that I also watch a lot.
1: All right. So I guess for now, we're going to leave it as... Well, who are we lining up with transition? I, I think I'm leaning toward David's answer of transition is moment rather than transition is J.
3: I also have I had ON three P, but I think subconsciously I'll just never be able to separate either of those companies from where they're based. Um they also like ON three P is tended to make pretty stiff, heavy, aggressive skis. Transition was um and I'm one of the leaders in that regard, or at least early on it. Um, but I, I don't think the, the scale matches up quite as well. Or uh, like I also tra- uh, associate transition with being like super laid back. And then like, they just like to ride their bikes. And Scott Andrus seems like one of the hardest working people in the world and doesn't seem like he gets to ski all that much. So I think that one starts to fall a little bit. But mostly I don't have moment for them because I have them more strongly associated with someone else.
1: Okay, um okay, so another kind of not really an answer uh from us, but we're we're still kind of liking moment or j skis is where we're we're kind of i think landing as a group. Let's talk about o n three p and you know Dylan actually made a comment in part one where he said something about like, oh, we were talking about cool kids belt stuff and You know, Dylan said, "Well, you know that team, the ON3P team, is different now," and he and it's like, "Well, that's true." But one of the things that I actually think is quite interesting about ON3P, and I'm thinking about this now, given what we were just talking saying about Armada a bit earlier, ON3P has actually done the thing where a lot of directional skiers are looking at their products and really like them. And their team was predominantly more park-oriented. And so the ON3P team previously it kind of had that same more park focus that Armada has had. And yet I think ON3P is attracting directional skiers, people looking for that hard-ish charging ski in a way that it we're at least wondering how much of that demographic armada has really picked up and and frankly whether they're even really trying to so i'm not saying they need to or ought to or whatever but that's an interesting i don't know observation i guess do we everybody's nodding so we kind of agree with that so far but with all that said who who lines up on the bike side with
0: Owen 3P. David. So who I had written down here is Reeb. And my answer there, it's it's not a great fit in terms of the team aspect of it. But they are both small-ish companies that are very proud of and make a big deal out of the fact that they make their stuff themselves in-house. They are both doing... Slightly unconventional material stuff that's not like they're pioneering it or anything with Reeb doing steel full suspension bikes, ON3P, bamboo cord stuff. Um, And those aren't unique to them, but they are consistent through their lines and not the most conventional choices. Uh, And for those kind of reasons, uh, and Reeb's making kind of comparatively burly harder charging bikes also. And for those reasons, I thought those fit pretty well.
1: Okay, Reeb. Luke or Dylan want to challenge that one? Dylan doesn't look completely happy right now. It's probably because some Vermonters knocking at the door, trying to come in to beat the ever-living crap out of him. <laughs> no,
2: I have my guard cat next to me. He'll scratch you up. Um, I I think David's answer is good. I had Yeti for Owen 3 p And, you know, I was sort of thinking about, like, what's what's the best ski comparison for Yeti and you know historically you would think of like the Kesley's the Stokeleys and you know I think that's a good answer but and maybe this is geographical but you don't really see that many Stokeley's and Kesley's out on the mountain whereas out riding and not just in Colorado I think I see a lot more yetis than that and you know yetis are expensive sure Um but they're not twice the cost of normal bikes, at least in their full build kits. Whereas Kesley or at least Stokely definitely is. And I think, yeah, Yeti and O N Three P has a lot of that, like you know, sort of young swagger associated with their brand. Uh, if you're looking at like the EWS side of Yeti or, you know, some of their freeride athletes, comparing that to O N Three P, whereas in reality a lot of the everyday normal skiers and bikers are buying a lot of their product and are pretty happy on them. Um, and I 3P is a little bit more pricey than most brands in the same way that Yeti is a little bit more pricey, but I don't think Kessley or Stokely or maybe someone has a different answer. I don't think those are mainstream enough in the way that Yeti is.
1: I hate this answer for some reason. So I'm hoping one of us can knock, knock Dylan off of this. So please,
3: I, I associated Yeti more with black crows, um, because I think the demographic who uses their stuff is pretty broad. They most, I think a lot of people buy them based off name recognition or visual recognition. They both have very distinctive, uh, aesthetics that they've kept pretty consistent Um, and yeah, I don't know, scale, it seems like a pretty good comparison. And sometimes I think both brands are a little overhyped. Uh, but this was, this was not one of the comparisons I was willing to, to die on by any means.
2: I just think black crows is not as aggro. When I think of Yeti, I think of like aggro bros trying to go hard and, you know, stiff, efficient race inspired bikes. I think of black crows. I think of like quirky French people.
1: Do you hate quirky French people? Where we just want to know: Do you? Are they like up there with Vermonters for just people you despise? I've never been to France, so you probably shouldn't go. Is kind of my my hunch. Um, Simon Stewart, what do you think?
4: Uh, well, I'm preparing to throw myself under the bus here. It seems like, but um, why? I had uh, I had Nordica aligned with Yeti.
1: We ask the hard-hitting questions
4: around here. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Well, I was looking at them um, of how they how they got started as companies. They're both pretty um, old companies in the you know, in both categories. Uh, Nordica has been around since uh, the late '30s, early '40s, I think, something like that. And and Yeti's been around since the you know start of mountain biking. Let's put that out there. Uh, they both have similar. Um, lineups where you don't see nordico playing in any other field versus but just downhill skiing right they don't make anything else they don't do nordic they're not doing schemo they're not doing a lot of these other skis and you could look at yeti the same way they do mountain bikes and that's it so they're focused on the on dirt and they just came out with a downhill bike but until then they didn't have one of those and so they just had enduro and mountain bikes and i think that that narrow field of you know Um, of a lineup actually kind of aligns with what Nordica has for skis do you you guys think they have a really huge breadth of skis in their catalog I
3: I think that that is a very very fair point in terms of um, both brands brands being around for a while having pretty focused lineups and um, yeah I think I think where it starts to fall through is kind of what Dylan mentioned like I don't I don't know apart from people who work for Nordica, I don't think I've ever met like a met like a really passionate Nordica ski fan. Uh whereas Yeti I think does still have some of those hardcore people. That said, I feel like they also kind of like peaked in uh coolness and interest a little bit ago.
1: Who did, Luke?
3: I think both of them did. Like I I just I feel like y- Yeti's or at least maybe it's just the people I hang out with I know a ton of people who bought Yeti's like the mid to mid 2000s, early aughts or uh, like 2010s, but I don't I don't hear many people getting super excited about them right now. I think because they've gone very like uh, iterative since then, like they like all they just released an entire lineup of all new bikes, but they're not all that different when you look at them. And Nordica seems to have like they hit it out of the park when they overhauled the enforcer series and that became super super popular and have since not changed things drastically um understandably like don't if it's not broke don't don't fix it even though we have we've covered that uh and it doesn't totally apply to nordica but anyway i think it's a pretty good comparison my main uh main thing i i don't love is like the the passion behind uh the brands i don't think totally lines up
4: um, you could see that. And, but I would counter with also that there's a lot of race heritage from, from, uh, from both brands to add to that comparison. So correct me if I'm wrong, but Nordica at some point was the leader in a lot of, you know, ski racing in their boot tech and in their, uh, slalom and, uh, race ski tech. And so you could say that is a lot of what Yeti has in their roots also.
1: One of the things I want to ask about is Dylan was saying with Yeti and ON3P that like it, they're They're both, or let me just speak to the Yeti part, that people think of them as like, those are hard charging bikes. And I found myself thinking like, well, is that really what people think? Is that the agreed upon brand perception? Because interestingly, it strikes me that Yeti might be in a bit of an unusual situation where some people are like, those are bikes for dentists. And then there's this other side where it's like, yeah, a lot of incredible riders are on Yetis. So I'm like, do you agree with that? That there's a, they get both. And, and maybe are those sort of the two strongest elements of a brand perception? I'll, I'll shut up in a second. But then that got me thinking like, so if we think that's a really key thing, how can you be both the dentist bike and the like, for hard-charging, really skilled riders. Who does that line up with on the ski side? David, you can talk.
0: Yeah, I think you're right that there's sort of that duality to their perception. And um, maybe another way to put it is that the dentist reputation is perhaps a bit undeserved just because the bikes are expensive is where that's kind of coming from. But I think the part about them being on the more aggressive, harder charging side of things is true. And in particular, I've had more than a couple conversations over the years with blister members who are like, I bought an SB 130. It's kind of kicking my ass. Like, let's talk about a mellower bike in that category for me. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. So we agree that they somehow get these two kind of polar opposite notions. I know who my choices on the ski side if we were like what ski brand has that duality going but luke what do you got
3: well i was just thinking and this is only limited to the ski the few skis that we spend time on but i'd say stokely's almost the opposite in that like their skis are easy or the storm rider series in particular has a reputation for being this super burly it's got a metal top sheet uh kind of like intimidating ski and it's actually pretty easy going um but that given how expensive stokely is and its clientele like i do think they have rightfully then this reputation it's yeah it just seems flipped where like yeti's bikes are actually pretty aggressive but uh everyone associates them with being dentist bikes uh stokely skis i think are associated with being really aggressive but potentially a lot a lot easier um but both very high-end brands um yeah so not definitely not a perfect comparison but that's the first thing i thought of
1: so for me what ski brand has that duality by the way i love how dentists it's always just dentists that get like poor dentists you know they are like i don't know but like <laughs> shout out to all our dentists out there keeping our teeth clean i really like my dentist she's awesome. The brand that I... I actually think this this one nails it. I'm giving myself a 10 out of 10 in advance just so you know what's about to come. That's Kessley. That's Kesley, Undisputed. And I don't actually even think there's a second company to put in where Kesley's both that sort of, oh yeah, that's for fancy people. But the reputation on a lot of Kesleys is, is like... I mean, they've built some really burly chargers in the past, Um I don't know how many like burly chargers are in the current lineup, but they are skis. I mean, I'm still like, I'm still fantasizing about the Kesley ZX 115 that I skied at the blister summit two years ago. That ski was money, absolute money. And, um, you know, there's a lot of people you'll talk to who absolutely love their Yetis and they're not the most forgiving bikes out there. And I think it's because in part yeah, be good at riding bikes. Like, don't need so much forgiveness and, you know, you know, forgiving of all your mistakes you're making. So does that get us anywhere closer to kind of pinning down an answer on this, though?
0: Yeah, that's what I had written down for exactly those reasons. I'm in agreement with you on that one. But is that your... So you think Yeti is Kessley? Yep.
1: Even though I would say right now, Yetis are far more seen in the wild like kesley's not kesley's like i don't know what does one say place in the market doesn't measure up to
0: yetis at the moment i bet that's pretty regional though i mean i haven't done a ton of skiing in europe but i'm guessing they're more prevalent over there you know yetis from colorado there are A lot of them in your neck of the woods, some of them in mine, but not as many for sure. But I think in terms of the kind of combined bits of reputation, like we've been talking about, it's a very good fit. Is that your answer, Luke?
3: Uh, Yeah, I think it works. And I think it's just like you got to kind of pick a few ways you're going to think about this question. And very few of the ones I thought of match up in every single regard.
1: Okay. Okay. Yeah. But the, the biggest takeaway here is at least we can agree that Dylan doesn't get to be right <laughs> sure. with Yeti and ON3P. And so that my work here is done. All right. I want to talk about K two. We we're back into like real big brand territory and we've already talked about how this is real complicated. But what do we think? Who would we line
0: K two up with at the moment? So this is one I had a harder time with. And last time around, I said Kona, which I think was a pretty good answer at the time and has become somewhat less accurate in the couple of years since we last did this. Um, Both big companies both had a very strong reputation a while ago, had a bit of a lull, product suffered a bit, and they... Had been turning things around, but I think K2 has continued on that trajectory better and Kona hasn't done anything new or all that exciting in a while. And their lineup's feeling a little stagnant and due for an update in some cases that hasn't materialized just yet. And so the more contemporary comparison that I think is not quite perfect, but decent is GT there. And where it's imperfect is that I think K2 is ahead of GT on that resurrection of their product line and kind of riding the ship, so to speak. But GT does appear to be on that trajectory after some not so great years and a few back. And I think if GT continues on their current trajectory, they'll be in a similar place to where K2 is right now. They're just not quite on 100% the same timeline there. Any other thoughts?
3: I I think that's fair. I K two was a hard one for me. I thought maybe Norco, maybe Kona. Um, ironically, for Kona, I had uh, Blizzard skis um, for most of the reasons that David mentioned. But then both Kona and Blizzard seem to have mostly. I just can't really figure out what they're trying to do lately. Um, and I imagine it'll become a lot more clear in the coming years. But currently, they seem like in a bit of a ambiguous spot. Um, but do have a very strong history and have made some great bikes and current or uh, bikes and skis and currently make a handful of good one, uh, very good one, well respected ones. Um, but are a little confusing to me right now. As for K two, I thought Kona just because like, or uh, uh, I thought Norco just because they're pretty well-rounded lineups. They seem similar in terms of scale. They are pushing boundaries in certain regards, but not, uh, I, I don't think either of them have like that, the kind of reputation for making the wildest stuff or, or, uh, sponsoring the, um, most, uh, popular or eye catching athletes, but are just kind of steadily doing some good stuff. Um, but yeah, bigger brands, tougher comparisons.
4: Simon. Yeah, for the for almost identical reasons that um, that Luke just put out there for Norco, I had I had Rocky Mountain um, aligned with um, with K two. And the scale the scale of those two companies is
1: David is vigorously disagreeing with this. But let me just we'll give you a shot here, Simon. I mean, m- massive difference in scale,
4: right? I'm not so sure, actually. Rocky's still a pretty big company, and we've we've proven so far that scale isn't necessarily the deciding factor here. As we've had some that are pretty lopsided on the scale department, um, but just for for more of um, the the products that they have and how they've been, you know, how they've been approaching their uh, their bike design or ski designs over the last few years. And I don't think Rocky has pushed very many boundaries either. Um, they haven't necessarily had a lull, but they haven't been really up on the forefront either of, um, of a lot of these technologies. Um, they've got some really, uh, I think Rocky in particular has some pretty com- has comp- compelling products right now. Um, and I think that can be said for, for K2 as well. David.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think the scale thing is definitely off. Like Simon said, that's not necessarily the only thing that matters, but there is a discrepancy there. um, I'm inclined to say that I like Norco a little bit better than Rocky for the K2 comparison Um, in that I think Rocky's lineup also feels a little bit more stagnant than K2's does. Nordica's, I'm sorry, Norco has done some more different stuff of late and while they haven't fully overhauled everything of late, they are, continuing to refine and tweak stuff in a way that Rocky's been sort of sitting pat a little bit, which I think aligns with K2 better. But I still like my GT answer best out of the bunch. Simon, you, so I guess you,
1: GT was not your answer for K2. Do you hate GT, K2 analogy?
4: Um, no, just GT is just a confusing brand for me, pretty much. it um, Where it's positioned, what it's done in the past and where it's going in the future. I just, I don't know. I don't know, actually. It's just, it's always sort of been a little bit hard to pin them down and they're part of such a, you know, a big company and they've had almost one toe in, you know, department stores at one point, and then they've come back out and done some sort of higher end stuff, but they've never really, I think, decided where they're going. I think they're still just a confused brand. All right. I want to talk about Gorilla Gravity.
1: Who do we think they are lining up most closely within the ski world? Luke.
3: For me, that was Moment. Um, I think their marketing is very similar in that they're both very into metal metal music and not a lot of colors. And on top of that, they are very adamant about manufacturing in the U.S. and what that means to them as their company identity. Um, And I think they both, like, this doesn't totally line up, but they both made some pretty significant overhauls to their lineups over the past probably like six years it was more recent for Gorilla gravity i think um and i think moments probably bigger but i feel like they're at least comparable in terms of scale uh that seemed like one of the easier comparisons uh, when i was working on this
1: Guerrilla Gravity and Moment seemed like the easy comparison for you. Okay. I don't think you're right about scale. I think Moment is in terms of just marketplace in the ski world, marketplace in the bike world, I think Moment is... I mean, it's not worlds apart, but Moment's on a different level I would guess in terms of production.
0: David seems to agree. I think the Reasons that Luke gave for a moment make sense, but the area that it falls apart for me a little bit is that I think a big part of Gorilla Gravity's story is that they are developing thermoplastic carbon fiber as a material to be used in bike frames. It's used in all kinds of other applications, but frames are a novel one for it. Uh, I know yeah. where you're going so you, here. Jonathan's guessed it, but um, for that reason, I think wonder makes a bunch of sense in that they're doing uh, different material stuff. They're actually really kind of doing material development in a way that isn't necessarily true of companies that are just using a different material from a lot of people. And both of them are, have affiliated companies that are doing work in getting those materials that they're developing into other spaces than bikes and skis also. And so They don't match up as well in terms of their brand image and how they market themselves. But from that perspective, they like, so I was
1: wrong. I thought you were going with renown. Yeah. And I mean, so I I actually think the wonder Alpine in terms of, I don't know, somehow again, God damn it. I feel like Sam Shaheen is winning right now because I'm about to use the word vibe again. But like from a vibe point of view, I think that kind of wonder alpine and gorilla gravity is somehow a better match than gorilla gravity and renown but man it's kind of been our answer for a long time now when it's like who is doing the most novel things in terms of tech and materials it still kind of feels to me like you're you're not wrong about saying wonder but renown still kind of owns that story for me luke is that true of you too or no
3: yeah yeah i i think renown and wonder um are the most obvious on that front um because most ski companies are using the same materials that everyone else is using um because that's way more economical uh and proven um I thought of Renown, and you could say this to a degree to Wonder as well, as being, like, I was trying to think of what what's the defining aspect of these companies. And Renown, to me, is they started off as, and probably Wonder as well, their thing was like, we've got this material, and this is what makes us different. We have this one thing that we started the company based on, and we've stuck with that. And so that makes me think of zeroed and potentially forbidden or deviate to a lesser degree. But zeroed, like they're one of the few companies that's stuck with a gearbox. Like I believe since they started, they're still doing it. I don't think the scale is quite uh, ideal on that front. And it's obviously it's, it's a design element rather than a material um, but kind of starting a company based off of one thing and having that be the through line from the start, whereas like Gorilla Gravity, they made uh metal bikes for a long time and then they all of a sudden completely changed their primary construction method. Um, so I yeah, I think about more of like companies that have been doing this this standing by this one thing from the start hmm. and continue to do it. I
1: love this answer. I love Renown and Zeroed, but David, do you want to push back?
0: Not really. I think those are good answers too, uh, depending how you want to frame it. They all make pretty good sense to me.
1: Okay. Yeah, because the thing about getting on Renowns, they still ski different than like anything we've been on. And so that kind of went to be my question, not just who's doing novel material work. um, Like, wonder alpine skis don't feel they feel like conventional good skis um so if we went to like oh no this is actually a unique feel i don't know that gorilla gravity would link up so much on that front whereas the zeroed gets us closer i don't know if it's the closest answer in the bike world but it gets us closer yeah
0: i agree with that uh and i think i'd put forbidden in the running there too you know like luke said they have sort of staked themselves to high pivot bikes that's been their thing and they are doing some pretty unique things with geometry that i think does sort of give them the distinct ride feel points to line up with renown on that front
1: i've made an executive decision we're doing a part three for the first time in the history of bikes versus skis. We're, we're pushing a part three. I, I kind of almost feel like we could just start a whole new podcast. <laughs> just once like, it's called bikes versus skis. And we just do this every single week. Um, I, I actually, I promise I won't do that though, but before we wrap here, cause we got a lot we can save for part three. I'm very curious about what comments come in from this and, you know get suggestions from listeners or who if it's like hey you know we get a bunch of people saying we really want you to weigh in on this company or that company but um i'm thinking a lot about atomic at the moment and who line we're back to big um who lines up with atomic and here here's what i would identify as a few key things again we're just talking about atomic skis not Atomic Boots, Atomic is killing it right now with their Ben Shetler series. I think the Ben Shetler 120, which again, we're now back into like DH bike range. So yeah, not everybody needs a DH bike or maybe 120 millimeter wide ski. That ski is still such money. It's still so dialed and I would still put it up against a lot of fat skis out there. Um. In terms of sales, Atomic is m- slaughtering it with the Ben Shetler 100. They're making, obviously, some literally world-class race skis. You may have heard of Michaela Schifrin, Akilda, right? And I also think that Atomic is doing a pretty good job in terms of touring skis, Backland Series stuff. They're really killing it in terms of the light, light touring skis. Those are some of the best in class. But to be honest, I feel like there's a bit of a hole happening in terms of their all-mountain lineup, which, I don't know, from a certain point of view, you're like, man, that sure seems like a category one would want to be murdering it in. So if we think about bigger companies, you know, they have their whole new Maverick series and Maven series, and, you know, maybe it's a matter of getting traction on a new series, but can you, who lines up if we're thinking about bigger companies, they're killing it clearly killing it in several segments, but there seems to be a surprising gap there. David Goulet.
0: I think that's Trek. And it even lines up pretty well with kind of the particulars of Atomic. Like the Session is a great downhill bike and has been doing extremely well in the World Cup circuit. The new Fuel EX is a very good kind of all-rounder, trail bike that you can, if you want to squint at it, map it to the Bent 100. Their enduro bikes and kind of the stuff in between those two and a big chunk of their lineup feels a little less dialed, but then they're also doing great on the XC race bike and racing that really successfully, and they're selling a bajillion road bikes. And so I think that all lines up pretty cleanly. Luke, what do you got?
3: So I thought about this comparison or like the atomic comparison in mean, the exact same way. I was like, they're covering just about everything except for the category that at least over here is the biggest category that most companies do pretty well. And then they usually struggle in the more niche categories. Atomics yep. flipped. Well put. Uh, and to yep. me, and this is very like, very much like talking about right now, I thought of Canyon because they have some very good enduro bikes, downhill bike. That's where it starts to kind of fall apart. Like they have some good results on their downhill bike, but they don't have like the best team by any means. Uh, they do have some very good XC racers, very good enduro team, enduro bikes, really good e-bikes that they just released. But that kind of like one 130 to 150 each, class like i think there's a big gap right there uh there right now like they have their short travel spectral but that seems like a very niche bike in that travel class and then i think it's the neuron hasn't been updated in forever and is looking super outdated right now and that like the neuron is kind of the the Maver- atomic maverick equivalent for me right now uh it's not a perfect comparison by any means but I, I think it was hard because so few bike companies have, have sp- that type of bike missing from their lineup because it's probably the bulk of a lot of their mountain full suspension mountain bike sales. Um, but yeah, it's interesting that we were thinking about it in a, in a similar manner.
1: Which do we like then as a group? Atomic is Canyon or Atomic is Trek? Simon?
4: I'm gonna have to align with David on this one. I think his his trek comparison was bang on, and um, yeah, just there's no there's no holes in that argument. I don't think that that's that's the one for me. Okay, but even if if we're trying to highlight what I would call
1: a surprising, for lack of a better term, right now, and this is just based on some perceptions, a surprising miss in the all mountain section
3: yeah i the only reason i don't like trek is because the fuel ex that they just came out with is so versatile um and i guess it's kind of like the step down from that bike that they're missing uh but yeah i mean we're talking about like the the travel classes and what's a trail bike versus a short travel trail bike versus a long travel xc bike is makes this a lot more difficult whereas all mountain skis are, are pretty pretty it's an obvious distinction on the ski side
1: hmm. dylan you're gonna break the tie i'm i still kind of like trek
2: here um even though i said trek for a different company um
1: well you can't do that Dylan. well if, even, I'm, if I'm making like...
2: a tiebreaker here that i'm going trek because and part of it is because i can't get the ben shetler 120 to trek session comparison out of my head i think that's a really good one both historically very successful products that you'll you're guaranteed to, to see whether you're at a bike park or in a ski area um and you know there are people just kind of farting around on them having a good time and like world-class athletes doing some of the craziest things you've ever seen um but i think i think both are good but if i had to say i'd probably go trek
1: do we want to sneak one more in before we end part two david what should we what should we do Last one.
0: Let's go ahead and do YT here. I know this is one Luke wanted to talk about, so I'll let him kick that off.
3: Yeah, so I had for YT, I had Armada um, because I think they started out as seeming like super hardcore niche, uh, very different marketing strategies catered to pretty specific uh, categories of skiers and bikers. But now I feel like they've that reputation's been diluted a lot. Um, and I don't think of either of them as like kind of like the cool kid brands or even like the the brands that like your 100 day 100 day a year skier or 200 day a year biker is, is specifically going after. I don't think it's a perfect argument by any means, but that was the first one I thought of. David?
0: Yeah, I think there's something to that. The one I had written down here was J. The scales aren't perfect. YT is bigger, I'm sure. But I think they are, they're both, direct consumer is a big part of their story and they were early on that trend in their respective industries. Uh, they are both kind of a little bit quirky and different in the ways that they market themselves and have it's not 100% the same vibe to keep using that word to you know, make Sam Sheen win again, but um, there are sort of, there's a thematic similarity there a little bit. They are also both kind of, they do a lot of um, kind of limited run stuff. In Jay's case, it's top sheets that they change over all the time. In YT's case, it is build kits. They do a lot of, kind of oddball one-off builds that they just do a single run of and then are gone forever. Uh, and so the, those were the reasons I stacked those two up. Dylan?
2: My answer was along the same lines as David, but I had Forefront, just because I think Jay skis is a bit more of that, like, laid-back, opre sort of um, attitude to avoid using the V word And I think Forefront is a little bit more, like, I think they align more in terms of their, you know, sort of brand image that they're trying to make for themselves while still keeping that direct to consumer business model, you know, both very free ride oriented brands.
1: I want to ask what we think is, how would you describe the forefront attitude uh, vibe? And then I might ask Simon to then talk about what he would describe as the the YT vibe, um, that perception to home in on this a little bit more. I I I don't know that, and so maybe Dylan, I'll give this back to you. You're trying to differentiate a bit sort of a J-Ski perception from forefront. Luke, do you do you see that difference?
3: Yeah, I think I think forefront and J ski is definitely a very different uh like outward facing personas um and i think i like forefront to yt a bit better than j skis to yt but i have a different company for forefront that i'm going to save for the next episode
1: Mm, okay simon what's your take on yt how do you think of the brand in their perception
4: their yeah the house their their attitude for me is sort of focused around what their what their name means what does yt stand for it stands for young talent and so um, for me that brand is sort of centered on getting young young they young people into bikes they're budget friendly um the sort of the the young shredder has been you know that demographic for them since since their inception um i really think that's pretty much where they're where their base is it's um their marketing is all driven towards sort of young people everything about what they do it's like maybe they pushed a little bit hard in the whole white team mob side of their marketing strategy early on and that's fizzled out a little bit but overall i i I see them as um a brand that really sort of attracts younger people people just getting into mountain biking um they've been They've been, they have been have some pretty compelling products in there. And as we talked about in the last um, episode, some of their bikes price-wise are impossible to beat for, for what you get. So that, I think, is their attitude. Luke, rebuttal?
3: The funny thing is, that made me think that my perception of YT is a brand that's trying to be the one that's appealing to young up-and-coming people, but instead actually just gets the... Uh, like thirty to fifty year olds who want a good deal on a bike, um, and I'm I don't think this isn't a great comparison, but for some reason that's making me think the J skis comparison is actually better now, um, because I do like they have this like YT has this like you go on their website it's all black it uses all these crazy fonts their team's called the mob, uh they do these insane release videos but. In the like, I like no one I know who's in their 20s or younger has a YT bike. Um, and maybe it's just because, like, the I don't know, they do they're not like one of the companies that only does like full metal bikes or something like that. Like, they do make carbon bikes that are pretty light, and J Ski's does all this like super goofy fun marketing that's like has the air of being targeted at young people but I think it actually just like if you're someone who skis you go on two ski vacations a year and you just want to have a good time and these skis come in a million different graphics and you can pick the one you like and I think the the people who end up skiing them is not totally in line with who I associate their marketing being targeted at uh that was a pretty scattered response but for all of a sudden they seem like a better pairing than i initially thought
1: well that's interesting right what we're talking about here is brands can market to a certain demographic there's a difference between then if that's the demographic that's actually purchasing their stuff and i you know i do very much have the sense that like on the j side young people are buying j skis People in their 30s, 40s, and 50s are buying J skis. And I think you're right, in part because you get to pick your artwork. And so if somebody's like, that ski looks sick, you know, and as we've talked about, one of the things we've praised J skis for is they have a flex pattern. They're rarely going like super stiff and burly and creating these like unforgiving skis. So we've repeatedly kind of said, there's a flex pattern here that kind of can work for a very broad range of people. So I think that's why they're getting that. I think that's really interesting. I know less about YT. And so the idea that they're going for the young talent, but Luke's like, I never see the YTs on them.
2: I disagree. I know a lot of young people who ride YT. Um, a lot of my college friends were buying YTs. And I know a lot of, really talented free riders who who got a YT under them as well.
1: So Luke just needs to get out more, Dylan.
2: Go to the Green River Invitational and you'll see a lot of YTs.
1: Simon.
4: Um yeah, Dylan, of course, that's that's what I was saying, but also Luke, I think you you did hit on something a little bit there because um YT may have transitioned a little bit away from um from that younger demographic and partly maybe because of the value they're offering or because someone that's a little bit older isn't quite so switched on to what's cool anymore, and they see this brand when they get on the website, uh, might have that impression that this is the cool brand, and maybe not quite so much anymore. I'm I'm definitely seeing more aging mountain bikers on YTs than before, so perhaps both answers are correct.
0: David? Yeah, I mean, my last thought was just that uh, the stuff that you just said, Jonathan, about the J kind of rounder flex pattern and more forgiving stuff, I think actually works for YT too. The Capra especially is a really good example of a notably forgiving big enduro bike that you can go pretty hard on, but doesn't need to be pushed super hard to start coming into its own. And, uh, there's a little bit of a matchup there too. Hey, let's wrap. Honestly, guys, that was good. I think
1: you all did a really good job. And, um, I mean, We also actually know from download numbers, people really also weirdly like us enjoy thinking through these things. And it's funny how many um, industry people hit me up after, well, I mean, we kind of, we did part one, but we also did kind of the brand identity podcast, a more general thing. My biggest takeaway for right now is... The worst thing you can probably be as a brand is just kind of confusing and lacking an identity. And so time for like honest assessments out there, folks. If you just don't even have an angle, I can't fathom that's going to go well for you. Certainly not for the long haul. So I don't know. Food for thought. But on that note, we'll let the people think. Do let us know your own thoughts on which bike brands line up with which ski companies best or you know hammer us with questions about hey hey talk about this brand or that brand and um we'll uh we'll do that in a week for for part three our new extended
0: bikes versus skis all right let's leave it at that talk to y'all real soon all right that's it for this edition of bikes and big ideas and as always i'd like to say thanks to the whole crew of jonathan luke dylan and simon for the conversation thanks to taylor Ahern for producing the episode and thanks to you for listening and again give us your thoughts on your favorite comparisons ones that you think are better than what we came up with or the various brands that you would like to see us cover in part three next week in the comment section on the website or on our instagram post for the show and we'll get back to you on a bunch of the best ones and as mentioned in the intro, we have got a really good conversation with Jesse Melamed on deck for next week that I am very excited to share with you, so stick around for that as well. With that, thanks to everybody for listening, thanks for all your comments and suggestions for our next portion of the Bikes versus Skis roundup, and we'll be back again next week. Talk to you soon.